1: In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really?
0: Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
1: I never win and tell.
0: Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: This episode contains real, narrated experiences, listener discretion, is advised. Good evening, and welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Chad. This week, I'm bringing you three true horrifying tales that are just perfect for this time of year. It's that time again to face your fears. Where nightmares become reality. So brace yourself. This is Disturbed. Recently, we've had an influx of new listeners. I'd like to welcome you all to the show, and thanks for listening. And one quick reminder, if you have a truly disturbing story or encounter of your own that you'd like to share with the podcast, you can submit it in one of two ways. First, good old-fashioned email, disturbedpod20 at gmail.com. That's disturbed podpod20 at gmail.com We're looking for well-written, true encounters. We also just created our own subreddit. So go find us over on Reddit, at Disturbed Podcast. Submit your story there, and it will automatically be taken into consideration for the podcast. Again, well-written and constructed stories are preferred. Now, let's get into it. Tonight our first experience comes courtesy of Reddit user Shadows over Mexico with narration by our own Addison Peacock.
1: After binging about 12 hours straight of YouTube readings of this subreddit has my mind in a dark place, though I can't entirely blame it. My mind goes here often. This happened three years ago, but requires some background. My best friend and I grew up in a sleepy, wannabe New Jersey, Central Florida town and were the outcasts. We had met in sixth grade when I'd overheard her talking to another classmate about Bionicles, my 11 year old self's passion. We became fast friends and soon were inseparable. Soon began the gauntlet of sleepovers, birthday parties, and family gatherings. We were practically siblings. She was the first person I'd come out to as bisexual. And in turn, I was the first person she'd told about being trans. Her home life was tumultuous, though I can't say mine was any better. We often had a habit of taking refuge at each other's houses. Like I said, we became like siblings. Her father was an alcoholic, strict and prone to physical discipline. Her sister was a stuck-up girl who soon gravitated towards the hicks and jocks when we entered high school, and her mother was a pseudo-vegan hippie love child held over from the 80s. When I was 23, herself 22 at the time, we had another long night of sleeping over in order to let her escape yet another fight with her mother. She had recently lost her job at Walmart, and I was going into my first shift at Taco Bell the next day. On the drive home the next morning, she excitedly told me that since she now had her own vehicle, she would be applying at pizza places that were in need of a driver. I was proud. It was the first time she'd hunted for a job on her own, as I'd usually been the one to coax her to apply where I was working. Not that she ever lasted very long. My first training day goes by quite well. My coworkers are friendly and try to get me to talk more. My manager likes to playfully embarrass me, a fat white guy, by trying to get me to talk hood to the other workers. Being a training day it wasn't a very long shift, but I had been up early in anticipation, and this was my first day on a job in a few months. I got home around noon, informed some of my internet friends that my first day went well, and around 5pm I started to bed down, drained from a good day. As I'm preparing to lay in my bed, I get a steam message, her lamenting another fight with her mother, and asking if she could come over. Now I had started to grow a bit weary of the fights on their end. I had begun to repair my relationship with my family and a few friends, and I had given her advice many times on how to better approach things. In my infinite wisdom and eagerness to sleep, I left the message on read, and drift off into slumber. Around 8pm, I'm awakened by her bursting into my room in a panic. Having just been ripped from a dream, I am groggy and disoriented. I drag myself to the bathroom to relieve my bladder and come back to my room to find her rocking back and forth on my bed. It is at this time I notice she is covered in blood. So I ask what happened. She informs me that she just saw someone murder her mother with a knife my mind goes blank. In the deepest parts of my mind, alarm bells start ringing. Isn't the rocking back and forth a little overdramatic? Why didn't she call the police? But this is my best friend. I've known her for over a decade, and we were the only two people in the world we could count on. I suppress it and go inform my sister and stepfather. My mother had passed the year prior, and it was roughly a month to the anniversary of her death. We were all in a dark place, antisocial as always. It was the only way we knew how to handle emotional issues. When I inform my family, they immediately go to the same place as I had, though they are far more vocal about it. I offer excuses I knew myself were flimsy and return to the room, phone in hand. I convinced her to call the police, and I can hear her explain the details over the phone. A man in a black ski mask. When the cops arrive, she swears up and down that it's most likely her father. They send cars over to check the crime scene and take her in for a statement. I ride with her in the back of the cop car over to the sheriff's office. It gets to be around 2 a.m. Her sister was brought in, as was her father. I have worked the next morning and request to be taken home by a police officer. It takes me a while to go to sleep that morning. The next day at work, I'm quiet until my manager asks me what has happened. I inform him, but decide to work the rest of my training shift. When I get home, my sister informs me. She had confessed. Her mother threatened to kick her out for not being able to find a job, and in a rage, she had taken a kitchen knife and stabbed her repeatedly. My mind froze like a bad computer, and I turned to face my monitor. I was in a discord call at the time, and all I could weakly say is my best friend confessed to murdering her mother before hanging up and laying on my bed. Her trial was the 7th of this month. I don't know the results, though my grandmother tells me she took a plea deal for life in prison rather than the death penalty. Part of me wants to contest that, to demand that they take the death penalty for ridding the earth of such a peaceful and caring woman's shadow. A larger part of me is just glad she's being punished. Natalie, you are my best friend, my sister, and my platonic soulmate. But please, let's never meet again.
2: And now it's time to give shout outs to all of our brand new Patreon Fan Club members Gina in Newfoundland, Canada, Emerald Jade in New Hampshire, Carissa in Colorado, Christopher McAllister in Portland, Oregon, Ismail in Ontario, California, Tanisha Regina in Landover, Maryland, Parker Jackson, Sergio Sacido. And finally, Megan in Denver, Colorado. Thanks everyone for joining the Patreon fan club and supporting the show. All of them will now enjoy tons of awesome perks, including our bonus episodes of Disturbing Calls, available only to Patreon members. Four bonus episodes are available right now to binge, along with our newest episode that dropped just days ago. If you're curious what else is included for Patreon members or you want those bonus episodes along with many other perks, visit patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot slash disturbedpodcast. Or find the link at the top of the show notes and join for as little as $3 a month to start receiving your benefits today. Now, our next story teaches us that you can never fully know someone. This experience comes to us from Reddit user DrunkPrincessA with narration by our own Emery Mika.
3: When I was 15 years old and just got into junior year, I created my first Twitter account that I deleted because of this story. For some information... I didn't tell anyone my username, neither my family nor my friends because I didn't have any. My profile picture was an avatar, so no pictures of me on the account. And as location, I said Paris because I was living in the suburbs. I didn't have many followers, 20 or 30, and didn't follow that many people, so my timeline was not really interesting. One evening in October, someone sent me quite a strange direct message. It was a 200 followers account, and the message was, Hi, my name is Rob. I just turned 17 and wanted to know if you lived in this town, because I will soon move in and go to the high school, and I'm looking for friends. This town was obviously the town that I lived in. I immediately thought something was wrong, because there was nowhere on my profile where I said where I actually lived. But after some time thinking... I remembered a tweet I made weeks ago about buses, and I mentioned the city, so I told myself he looked up the name of our town and found my tweet. His age wasn't shocking, because I'm two years ahead of my classmates. I was bored, and as he was polite, I answered him. I told him I indeed lived in that town, and go to high school there. The discussion was natural, and we talked a lot that night, mainly about high school, about the food at the cafeteria, and the teachers— That kind of thing. But as it was getting very late, he tried to interpose some personal questions, like, Do you live far away from the school? In a house or in an apartment? Do you live with both your parents? There's five of you? You're not home alone, right? I never answered because it was way too shady for me, and unfortunately, he didn't insist. Unfortunately, because if he did, I would probably have blocked him. The next day, same thing. We talked a lot and he was still asking personal questions to know me better. So I asked some too, and he always answered with what seemed like honesty. I still didn't answer the questions about my house though, because he didn't need to know anything. It lasted two or three weeks, but it was enough for me to develop feelings for him. He was handsome, super kind, and it was everything I needed because I was bullied for years. And even today, I still develop strong feelings but most importantly, blind trust in people who are friendly to me. In France, in October, we have a two-week-long vacation, and the day before back-to-school day, he finally told me he was coming to my high school because he finally moved in with his mom, and he asked me to meet him during the morning break. I was so happy and relieved to be able to meet him and told him to join me in the hall. But when he understood that there would be people around, he said he would prefer an isolated place, Because he was afraid he would not recognize me and didn't want to spend the break looking for me. It was a good excuse for me, so I told him to meet me on the third floor bathroom because we weren't allowed to stay there during breaks and no one would disturb us. In my head, even though it was a little bit creepy, I was still in the school, so nothing could happen to me. Next day, back to school day, I made myself pretty. I wore my best clothes, I counted down the minutes. And finally, when break time arrived, I ran to the bathroom and waited. And when he arrived, it was him. He wasn't catfishing. He looked quite like his profile picture. But I still noticed that he seemed a little bit older than he told me. I thought 20 years old instead of 17. We talked a lot. We got along well. I was so pleased, and at the end of the break, he asked me to go to the fast food place with him for lunch. I said no because I didn't have any money, and I always refuse for people to pay for me. It's a principle. He seemed disappointed, but offered to walk me home after classes. I explained I have to take the bus, but that he could walk me to the bus stop. He looked disappointed, again, but finally accepted. And that's exactly what happened, and it was so great that it quickly became some kind of routine. We met in the third floor bathroom during morning break and he walked me to the bus stop after classes. Surprising fact, I never saw him in the hallways nor at the cafeteria. But I thought at that time the building was huge and there was over 1,500 students in here so our schedules didn't coincide. There was no way we could meet each other. This little game lasted until December so almost a month and a half. The 14th of December, a Thursday, I complained about how lonely I was going to be that evening, because my dad was abroad for work, my brother was always at a friend's house, my little sister was on a school trip, and my mom had to work late that very night. It was very reckless of me, but after weeks, I thought I could trust him. That evening, he walked me to the bus stop. We both waited, I got on the bus, waved at him, and put on my earphones. I had two stops before my house. It was about 17.45 in December, so it was already really dark outside. And as I got out of the bus, I had a really bad feeling. There was a very uncomfortable sensation in my stomach, and I felt like I was being observed. I pressed pause on my music, but kept my earphones on, so that people thought I couldn't hear anything. And that's probably what saved my life. I lived in a suburban neighborhood, very silent, especially at night with no visibility on the big road the bus passed on. When I heard footsteps behind me, I understood I was right. There was someone following me, and he was not well-intentioned. At least I could hear that he was not accelerating, so he was not trying to catch me up. But I couldn't guess how long it would last. As quietly as possible, I tried to reach for my keys in my pocket, and when I finally pulled them out, I ran. As fast as I could. The best sprint of my life I don't know how it worked, but I managed to open and to close the door before he could reach me. I then deactivated my alarm, which, by the way, confirmed that I was home alone, and took a look through the glass panel on the door. It's not a peephole, as it's a whole window, so if someone wants to see what's happening inside, they can. It was Rob, a few meters away, looking at me with a really creepy face. He followed me to my home probably with a car, and he was clearly not here for chit-chat. I still don't know why I didn't call the police. I was totally paralyzed. We both stared at each other for a minute, and then I took back control over my body. I ran into the kitchen to get a knife and got back to the door. He was there, too, banging against the door. I feared for a second the glass would break, but it didn't. That moment when I was pushing against the door... Praying for it not to break while he kicked harder and harder was the longest I've ever experienced. After maybe five minutes, he stopped and got around the house, knocking against every shutter, and got to the back door. He looked very angry, but then my neighbor's car reached my house and Rob ran away, probably thinking it was my mom coming home. On Twitter, Rob sent me a thousand messages before I could block him. He then deleted his account, and I thought I was done with the story. But quickly after, some accounts which have just been created followed me. Their at was a series of numbers and the first letter of his name, and as soon as I blocked one, another one would follow me. I chose to delete my account, because I couldn't make it stop, and it was too hard to endure, because they were sending me dozens of insulting DMs. Later, I talked to the people who were supposed to be Rob's classmates because I haven't met him again in days. But not a single one ever heard of a Rob. This guy was never a student in my high school. That is why I've never met him apart from our daily meetings, and that's probably why he seems so old. I never heard about him anymore, and I'm still asking myself what he wanted, and what could have happened that night. So Rob, let's never meet again.
2: And here we are, approaching the tail end of this week's episode. But we're not done yet. Stick around after this brief sponsor break to hear our final terrifying tale of the evening. This episode of Disturbed was made possible by BetterHelp. We discuss some seriously disturbing things on this podcast. That's why we've partnered with BetterHelp. Are you feeling stressed? anxious, overwhelmed, BetterHelp Online Counseling can help. They'll assess your needs and match you with a licensed therapist. Connect in a safe, private, online environment. It's convenient, affordable, and you'll be matched with a counselor within 24 hours. You'll have access to video sessions, phone calls, live chat, and messaging. Every counselor on BetterHelp is licensed by their respective state, and has over 3,000 hours of experience. BetterHelp counselors address depression, relationship issues, family conflict, and more. Right now, they're offering Disturbed listeners a special discount. Visit betterhelp.com disturbed and use code disturbed at checkout to receive 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com disturbed. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. This episode was also made possible by Restaurant.com. With Restaurant.com, you can save at thousands of restaurants across the country with just a few clicks. Their dining deals range from $5 to $100, never expire, and cost you a fraction of the face value. Dinner has never been easier with Restaurant.com. Use for dine in, takeout, or delivery, Restaurant.com is offering our listeners 50% off their next purchase by going to www.restaurant.com slash podcast. That's www.restaurant.com slash podcast for 50% off your next purchase. Restaurant.com, the best deal, every meal. And finally, this episode was made possible by Hunt a Killer, Blair Witch Edition. Experience the supernatural forces of the Blair Witch like never before in this narrative-driven, psychological thriller. Every month, you'll receive a new box of clues, documents, and ciphers that get you closer to the truth. Uncover the history of Burkittsville in this Blair Witch tabletop role-playing game. Work together with your friends or go it alone to overcome the malevolent forces in this terrifying experience from the makers of Hunt a Killer. Right now, as a disturbed listener, you can receive 20% off your first box by visiting huntakiller.com slash blairwitch and use code DISTURBED at checkout. Again, that's huntakiller.com slash blairwitch and use code DISTURBED for 20% off your first box. And come find out why over 10,000 members can't get enough of the challenge and the thrill.
0: Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues, and all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, so we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, benjamin morris join us for exclusive interviews with authors from arcadia publishing writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past you can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com crime capsule history so interesting it's criminal
2: Reddit user snoopickles1731 was confronted with many people's worst fear, a home invasion in the middle of the night. And narrating this experience is new guest narrator, Mike Fox.
4: This story happened to me more than 10 years ago, when I was still a student. It has a few graphic details of animal harm and graphic violence, so discretion is advised. Bit of a backstory. As with most students, I was always broke and had a few ventures apart from my part-time job to bring me extra money. One of them was house and pet sitting. I've always had a love for animals, so when this couple contacted me to ask to house sit for them for the last few days before they returned from their overseas trip, as the last sitter bailed on them and their six-month-old golden retriever puppy would be alone, I jumped at the opportunity. The fact that they had promised to pay me the full two-week fee for staying there less than a week just made it that more appealing. Little did I know how bad it would turn out. So I got the details, got the keys from the agent, and headed over to the house. It was already dark, as it was after 5pm in early spring. So I got to the house, which was a really nice place, but it bordered a not so good area that was still prone to crime. you know, House break-ins, robberies, etc. It didn't bother me much, cause you know, nothing will happen to me, young and naive. The first four nights went without a hitch. Watching movies, chilling in the jacuzzi, and just generally enjoying myself the owners would have returned on the fifth day. Fairly late at night, I went over to check on the dog as I got a call from them at about 10 p.m. saying their flight got delayed. They're gonna stay in a hotel and do the three and a half hour drive back the following morning and asked if I could sleep there again that night, which was fine. already was there. I had my overnight bag still in my car. So I called my dad to let him know the plans because I was still staying with my parents and he specifically asked what the address was. Now, I normally didn't give him details like that because I was old enough to look after myself. I still believe to this day that probably saved my life. Eventually got to bed about 1 AM and it felt like I have only slept five minutes when I was awoken to a window breaking and I could hear movement and what sounded like footsteps running down the hallway. The first thing I did was grab my phone and hit redial. Thanks to my old Motorola phone, redialing was as simple as just pressing one button. Since so my dad was the last number that I had called, I was hoping that he woke up from the call. I then dropped my phone in between the headboard and the mattress in case my dad picks up that he can hear what is going on. I would barely done that when the first guy stormed through the bedroom door. I could see his silhouette and he had a knife in his hand. When he saw me, he raised it and came right at me. Now one thing to those that are unfamiliar with South Africa and their crime is that robberies and house invasions usually are very brutal and violent. People get murdered or tortured if they retaliate in the slightest or not cooperate with the robbers. Out of instinct, I raised my legs back when he came in at me. And when he came within reach, I kicked both legs out as hard as I can. Now, I'm not a small guy. I'm 6'3", and at that stage I weighed about 220 pounds, and I was fit and strong. My time not spent in the university or work was at the gym. I could do an easy 250-pound bench, 350-pound squat. When I kicked and made contact with the guy, he completely lifted off the ground and shot into the wall, and luckily the knife shot out of his hand as well. Before he got the chance to get up, I was on top of him, driving my knee into his face and in return his head into the wall. I knew that my life depended on it, so I put in some extra force. The guy dropped like a sack of potatoes, but before I could get up, I heard the sound of a pistol cock and I froze. It felt like all the blood drained from my body and I became just numb. I remember the only thing that went through my head was that if he shot me that I would rather die than be disabled or dependent on other people that would have to take care of me. He stood like that with the pistol against my head for what felt like hours but it was probably less than 10 seconds. I didn't move and he eventually said in very broken English to get on the bed face down. I panicked but thought if he wanted to shoot me that he already would have done so. So I did as he said. He threw a blanket over me, and I turned into the fetal position with my back against the wall. Just so if they wanted to stab me, I at least had my hands and arms and legs in front to protect my body. Now by that time, I'd forgotten that I'd called my dad, and the guy that I had need was still down. I heard a third guy come into the room, and I could hear what sounded like Portuguese to me. I couldn't understand what they said, but I recognized it, as we used to go to Mozambique on holiday a lot, and that's the main language they spoke there. The one guy tried to get the guy that I put down off the ground, while the other started to ransack the house, shoving valuables into a big bag. It was about at this time I heard tires screeching in a car approaching that sounded like Mach 1 speed. The car skidded to a halt right in front of the gate. I heard someone scream, and it was my dad. The three inside the house panicked and ran out the back door, and I tried to jump the fence. My dad opened fire, shooting in their general direction. Now I know my dad missed it on purpose, because if he wanted to shoot them, he would as he was not one of, but the best shots that I know. And I'm not just saying that because he's my dad. He's an ex-Army Special Forces, represented SA and the Clay Pigeon World Championships a couple of years, has various regional pistol and rifle championship titles, and is a gunsmith by occupation. I've seen him hit golf balls at 50 meters with his pistol. Politics and the racial situation in the country would have had him in big trouble had he hit one of them. I grabbed the house keys and pressed the gate remote, and my dad called the police while he came in. I met him at the front door and we walked out to the car to wait there for the police. It took them over an hour to get there. Some excuse of no vehicle available. By that time I had calmed down started to look for the dog. I couldn't find her anywhere. I grabbed a flashlight from my dad and started scanning the surrounding yard. As I got to the corner I could see her laying on the ground. I got to her and saw that she was dead. Later autopsies revealed she was poisoned and the police found pieces of meat laced with poison near the fence. Poisoning is pretty standard practice in my country for dealing with dogs at a house or area that is targeted for a break-in or robbery. I was fuming and so sad. The police were also pretty useless and had a a don't-give-a-shit attitude and barely took our statements. By that time, it was starting to get light and I retrieved my bag, phone, and locked the house as good as I could without touching anything. Drove behind my dad. Only when I got home, I got the story from my dad's side. He said he answered my call, heard the shouting, what sounded like it was just fighting going on, and when I didn't respond, he flew out of the house and raced over. Now luckily, he asked me for the address the previous night, and he knows the area well to so know exactly which house it is. Now my dad got there pretty quickly, and he said he stayed online the whole time, only hanging up when he stopped at the gate. My parents' house is about 6 miles from there, through a residential area, it's normally about a 20 minute drive, and the call duration was 7 minutes and 13 seconds. I met the detective there later that day, gave my statement, they took fingerprints, etc, and the owners got back at about that same time. The rest of the day was a blur as I came down from the shock and adrenaline. Now that's not where the story ends. About 7 or 8 months later, I got a call from the detective telling me they caught the guys and I must come in to do a lineup and point them out. I specifically told her that I didn't see any of their faces as it was dark. And after the guy held the gun against my head, I was under a blanket and didn't see anything. She assured me that they caught them on fingerprints and will show them to me beforehand, which might not be ethically correct way to do it, but they wanted to have as much evidence as possible against them. You'll understand why in a minute. I got to the police station and unlike you see in the movies, there is no one way glass or a separate room. They bring all three guys in the room and then make them stand against a wall. The one, which I was later told was the leader, was the one that I'd need. He looked at me with so much hate that I'd never seen in my life. He had the eyes of someone that would slit your throat and not blink an eye. His name was Joseph Dragon Sambo. He put his hand up to his neck and made that slit my throat gesture. You know which one I mean. He left the room, and the detective gave me a copy of his rap sheet. Amongst others, 4 counts of murder, I think 8 or 9 attempted murder, multiple assault, aggravated assault, and over a 100 house break-ins and robberies, and rape. I was shocked. The detective told me that had I not taken him out first that night, I would have definitely not gotten away so lightly. Now this is also not where the story ends. Three days later I got another call from the detective saying that I should be careful as he had escaped from custody and they have not caught him yet. I wasn't worried too much as the robbery wasn't at my house and i changed cars so he probably couldn't find me. Also I got my firearm license and carried my pistol on me 24-7. I didn't hear anything after that until about two years later when I saw the detective in the grocery shop. We started talking about the case and she told me that he was killed during a home invasion. He broke into the wrong house and the owner was waiting for him, pistol in hand. Shot him once in the stomach and once in the neck. And thanks to the slow response time of emergency services and police, he bled out on the guy's living room floor, ridding society of that piece of human garbage. I want to add a bit of info to this. All three that were caught were Mozambican nationals, undocumented and no fingerprints or ID in the system. Essentially illegal immigrants. And it's of opinion in South Africa that more than 70% of all violent crime is done by illegal immigrants. Mainly Mozambican, Zimbabwean, Nigerian descent. It makes it fairly easy, because none of those countries have extradition to South Africa, so it gets too hot, they just flee back over the border and nothing can be done to them. This whole ordeal has made me more vigilant, heightened my situational awareness, and made me a little paranoid to double and triple check all doors and locks, etc. Thanks to my heightened situational awareness has also allowed me to remove myself from a few potential dangerous situations in years after the incident, but it has also robbed me of my peace of mind. I've since migrated to a safer country, but I will still sometimes wake up at night if I hear a noise. So to keep up with tradition, Joseph, we will never meet again, as you have passed. But to his cronies or anyone else that wants to try something similar, please do pay me a visit. I will arrange your swift departure and reunion with Joseph in hell. Oh, and Joseph, I hope you died in agony for poisoning Daisy.
2: Before we go, a quick look at our newest Patreon episode of Disturbing Calls.
3: You don't do what I did and get away with it. Oh my God.
0: She's in rough shape, please. There's a man in my house right now. I committed a
4: double homicide. I'm going to go to jail, though. I did this. Put your hands up right now. I'm trying to help her. The goddamn hands up. Shoot me. People are dead. They're not moving around.
2: I just heard a really loud noise. I think it was gunfire.
1: Are they alive at this point?
4: I don't think so. I shot them multiple times.
3: Hello? Hello? Is this Christopher?
4: No. Christopher's dead.
2: This fourth installment of Disturbing Calls is available exclusively to Patreon fan club members right now. If you want access to these bonus episodes, plus much more, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash disturbed podcast. That's P-A-T r-e-o-n dot slash disturbed podcast you won't want to miss it this episode of disturbed was mixed and produced by yours truly and that electrifying spine tingling score you heard is courtesy of white bat audio co.ag and kevin hartnell Special thanks to all the contributing narrators and submitters of these stories. You'll find all the relevant links in the show notes. And don't forget to submit your own story by emailing disturbedpod20 at gmail.com or through our subreddit, Disturbed Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with a very special Halloween episode. And stay safe out there, y'all.